kind of like single-handedly bring back species from like the brink of like local extinction to being sort of almost commonplace again. That's what, what, what keeps them going really, because you know, you see immediately like that you do something the next year, you can already like see some of the work paying off. Welcome back to the Cities Reimagine podcast. I'm your voice of choice, Johannes Riegler, and this is Reimagining Urban Wildlife Habitats. I'm very happy to have Gefried Ambrosch on the show today. Gefried and I go back a long time and we probably met in the early 2000s when I organized uh, a show or two for one of Gerfried's bands who played in the sleepy town of Klagenfurt back then and we might come back to that later but today we talk about his work on creating habitats for urban wildlife especially for amphibians Gerfried has a PhD in literature and cultural studies which he gained with his work, The Poetry of Punk, which is out on Routledge. And I really encourage you to check that out if you're also just remotely into alternative music. you find the link in the description. We could easily do a show on this line of his work, and maybe we should at some point. There is actually a bonus episode uh, coming up to, to this episode where we discuss parts of his uh, experiences uh, of uh, touring. Yeah, touring countries which you usually do not tour as a punk band, like Belarus. So maybe you want to check that out. But today we talk about enhancing and safeguarding the habitats of endangered frogs, and toad populations, for which he also won a biodiversity award last year. Gerfried nowadays lives in Munich, Germany, but when visiting Vienna on a, on a nice late summer weekend in September 2003, he took me out on a bike ride through the city to show me the habitats he was working on and where he found endangered species and discussed with me what kind of urban interventions would help to improve the living conditions of toads, frogs, and other amphibians. So this was the basis for the conversation you're about to hear today. Biodiversity has been one of my uh, personal favorite topics over the last years and months. So it was really good to have this conversation with Gefrit and get his opinion and his perspectives in and also to see when he when he took me out on this bike ride also to see um, how to put it how to put the how to see the city with a toad's eye how do toads and frogs perceive the city and how do they go around and what is important for them to yeah to flourish But why is that relevant for reimagining cities? Yeah, the prime focus is at the moment on the climate collapse and other crises caused by human activities are often overlooked. And one of the most significant one is the biodiversity crisis. So we are in a time of a global emergency with an alarming decline in the biodiversity and the abundance of species across the planet. So some scientists have called that the sixth mass extinction, which is, in contrast 
to previous extinctions human-made. This mass extinction of species is a big problem because it messes up how ecosystems work, reduces the variety of life on Earth and puts our planet's systems at risk. The reasons for this crisis are primarily driven by human activities such as deforestation, habitat destruction, urban sprawl, over-exploration of natural resources, pollution and climate change. Toads and frogs and other amphibians are an indicator for local biodiversity and ecosystem health. But they are increasingly threatened by forms of urbanization, which do not take natural processes and a balanced human-nature connection into account. And the result of these urbanization processes are a loss of habitats due to the destruction of wetlands, leftover spaces, freshwater bodies, and so on. And the fragmentation of habitats and how habitats are cut off from each other by construction, roads, sealed soil, and so on, they suffer from pollution, from foreign species introduction by humans and by traffic mortality. There is also an abundance of scientific evidence that it is time to act. But what is lacking at the moment is action. But there's also hope on the horizon because just this week the European Parliament, the European Commission and the European Council concluded um, the eagerly awaited nature restoration law. And this law will require member states to implement measures to restore nature on at least 20% of the European Union's land and marines area by 2030 and all ecosystems in need restoration by 2050. While these are very or I would say extremely relevant measures on a European and national scale, there are also so many small-scale projects and inspiring people who aim to turn the wheel around. And one of them is Gefried Ambrosch, and you will hear all about that in today's show. Before you ask yourself where the um, disturbing frog sounds come from, I'm not recording this in the swamp and also there's no toad sitting on my desk. It's just field recordings from the internet. But with no further ado, here is the conversation I had with Gerfried Ambrosch. Enjoy. Good morning, Gerfried. How, <laughs> how are things in Munich on this Sunday morning? Very slow. Um, just, uh, you know digesting my my breakfast having coffee yeah it's all good it's very sunny it's nice yeah here here in vienna it's not sunny it's cloudy but that's right Gerfried, um it's so nice to have you on the show i'm very happy that we continue this talk we had the other day on a bike tour um on urban habitats for amphibians i would call it i think that was the if you would sum up the bike tour we did into one title i think that would be the title what do you think Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think uh, that would be my my main focus when it comes to you know sort of urban wildlife because that's what I know most about. So I guess yeah, it's a it's a good title and uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, cool, great to have you. So you do not have a background in natural science. How how come that you developed this strong interest in amphibians? 
Um, well, I mean, that just started very, very early uh, as, a, as a kid, as a child, really. Uh, I think I, I, I dug my first pond or, or had my, my dad <laughs> uh, dug my first, uh, dig my first pond when I was maybe five or six. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just fascinated me ever since. And so in recent years, what happened was that, um, I just, you know, started to pay more attention to, you know, things that, you know, affect amphibians and, and, uh, you know, and, uh, I read a lot, you know, about their current like state of endangerment and things like that. And it's just, it's just really, I found it's just really shocking to see how, you know, how the, the, the populations have plummeted, you know, around Europe. Um, there's a number of reasons for that. And most of them are man-made of course. So, um, I figured, well, you know, having a, as you know, like a, my background in, 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 in DIY punk, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, you know, why wait for for you know big institutions or whatever to do things, which you know is 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 an important um, part of the solution, of course. But like as a just as an ordinary citizen, there's so much you can do, and so I just started to go out and you know like with a shovel and and start to dig ponds, um, connect with people. I did the same. There's like you know grassroots organizations that I'm involved with that do that. And so it's just, and, and then once you start and once you sort of like, you know, you, you just learn more and more about it. And the more you learn, the more you kind of want to do to, you know, prevent certain species that, you know, you love from, from, from going extinct. That's so nice. And I, I really like that. Uh, it, it already seems now that this DIY punk, punk rock background, um, comes back on the show from time to time so i find that very mm. interesting that uh the people involved in that scene somehow have an, an urge also to change um things outside of of the scene if, if you will but coming back to toads and frogs um right i know and, that you and, have... and newts and newts yeah <laughs> well it's just I, you know it's just to be to, to be <laughs> holistic okay <laughs> not to exclude anyone well <laughs> now we're excluding salamanders but you know of course okay uh, uh, all of them but most mostly frogs and toads yeah you're right all right um i know that you've been active in preserving and improving habitats for amphibians in the suburb of Graz, mm. in austria in vienna and now you work also in, in munich and i remember right. pictures where you stood knee deep in mud and containers of tadpoles uh, were just on the on the kitchen counter in your apartment, and I believe your partner Anna was not very amused about that. Uh, but well, can you tell uh, us? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and what what you do and uh, how it does this preservation or rehabilitation work? How how what do you do? Well, yeah, I mean you you were right. Um, sort of restoring like preserving and, and restoring like habitats that you know are you know, either on the brink of of uh of vanishing or have already vanished because you know still very common because you know usually like spawning grounds for amphibians like small ponds and very small bodies of water they're to know they're, they're of no use to to humans usually like in agriculture they're just in the way so people just just basically to fill them up with with uh, you know soil and and, and they disappear um and that that's been going on 
for the past hundred years, but of course, especially um, since World War II. And so as, as a result, there's just not enough, you know, water to go around really for amphibians to spawn in, like small bodies of water that ideally are fish free and things like that. So it's just, you know, down to like small puddles, you know, that, that, that are just out there. So um, it's a very hands-on approach where, you know, you, you just literally just go out and, and like dig a hole and fill it up with water. I mean, that's just the, 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 the basic gist of it. Of course, there's more, there's more to it because, you know, depending on the soil, you need like a pond liner uh, that you use and, you know, things like that. And it's quite easy, but it's also costly. So what I've done is um, when I sort of like identified spots where, where it would be useful, like for, for biodiversity and, and all that to, to uh, create something like that, like to basically dig a pond and, you know, things like that. Um, I would first, of course, of course, first you need permission by whoever, you know, owns that plot of land. Sometimes it's, it's just a local uh, municipality. Sometimes it's like a farm or whatnot. Um, and, and then you, you need to, you know, acquire like some money for it because it's not, you know, sometimes you need like an excavator, um, that can be quite costly. Sometimes, um, you know, you need stuff like, as I said, like pond liners and, and so, but all that costs money. So uh, I, I'll go out and approach, um, you know, organizations that I know um, fund things like that and, you know, get, you know, a thousand euros here, a thousand euros there. Um, if a municipality is involved, um, you know, they will, you know, give me like some like labor power also, like, you know, um, people from, from the local government or whatever, like helping me out and, you know, things like that. There's a lot of volunteer work involved and, you know, just trying to connect with people. Um, and the other side of it, I think, uh, so this is, this is very much like the hands-on kind of like going out and doing it side of things, but also you need to, um, educate so with people and 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 I think that's that's a so like what I've done in the past is like I've uh, you know taken school classes to some of the projects explaining things. Um, we've put up like information tables, you know, things like that, um, leaflets. That's a lot. I mean, and as I said, like all of it costs money, but it's actually you know it's not huge amounts of money, and you can sort of you know get that through organizations like um i'm a member of the of the austrian uh, herpetologist society for instance like they're they're headquartered at the natural history museum and uh so they they have a they have like sort of like a project or sort of like a funding line that they do where where they will you know fund projects like mine for instance so it sounds like it sounds like the the digging the pond is actually the the smallest part of the of the work, or it's about financing and uh, uh, the permits, getting everything in order to actually start building the pond, isn't it? Right, right. Um, of course, if you're lucky and you you have access to, you know, like private um, property where where you have an in with the owner, like I do with my parents, for instance, right there. Mm -hmm. 
um, I, I, I created a bunch of um, like pawns on, on, on their property, um, which which have been like in terms of of you know like amphibian reproduction have been um, key to sort of you know propping up populations of, of certain endangered amphibians there like in 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 the area. So it's you know it, it doesn't have that's one of the things that. I think it's uh, it's just important to realize is that it doesn't always have to be like a big project. Like sometimes very small projects can have huge knock-on effects um, because you know a lot of a lot of amphibians are actually quite like versatile in terms of their in terms of their like land habitats as long as they have somewhere to spawn. You know, and again. That needs to be like a small body of water, ideally, um, no fish, and 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 that's usually it. You know, that's all all it takes very often. And and so you know, it it really it really makes a difference. So I, I have to, of course, I'm you know documenting all of that, and I have you know some pretty I think uh, you know uh, astonishing success stories to to report and you know it's just basically uh you know if if you're if if you're kind of like single-handedly uh bring back like a species from like the brink of like local extinction to you know being sort of almost commonplace again um you know that's i think that's quite a you know it's because that's that's what 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 keeps them going really because you know you see immediately like the the, the next year you do you, you do something the next year you can already like see some of the uh, mm-hmm. the, the 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 work paying off. Mm-hmm. We might come back to your your success stories in in a bit, but I would be very interesting in uh, knowing how how you work with people and what is your ex- expect or not expectation, but what is your experience there? Because you said that it's very important to connect with people, to educate people and also somehow maybe to get the message message across. How do you feel or how do you see that people in whatever level, even in, in local government or local public administration or private owners of the land have an understanding for the value of these habitats and uh, for um for your work you, you kind of it it always depends on who you talk to you kind of have to like change your your approach a little right so you know when when it comes to like local politics like that's that's a even even in the countryside that's like that's a different different animal altogether because uh you have to get you know, to, to realize like projects that are a little more expensive, maybe, or you have to get everyone on board. So, um, you know, of course, you usually get like, you know, the, the Green Party representatives or whatever, like they, you get those on board quite easily. But that almost uh, immediately so sort of results in a like a knee jerk reaction from, uh, say, you know, the, the Conservative Party or, or uh, you know, the, 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 in Austria, the Freedom Party, for instance, right, the the, the, the far right party. But you kind of also need those guys to sign off on it, you know, depending on sort of like the political situation in in the in the community, and you have to sort of like find a way of, you know, find a way to to talk to everybody that isn't that isn't like you you don't want to be like talking down because you know you have the moral high ground, of course, you know that's. 
you know, it's just for starters. Uh, but also, there's just a lot of explaining you have to do that, you know, shouldn't, you don't want to come off, as I said, as, as sort of someone coming in from the outside and, and now explaining everything to them. It's like, okay, this is, uh, you know, you, you talk to people. Do you remember like when you were a kid and you could, you would go to, you know, like into a forest and you'd hear frogs, you don't hear them anymore, right? And there's something we can do about that right here. We can sort of like bring that back and so, you know, you kind of have, have to have to uh, address it on a very, very personal level sometimes. And the thing, you know, that's, and I know that that works and, and, you know, for, for a lot of people, they, they don't necessarily care, but they also, you know, don't, don't necessarily have anything against what you're doing. Right. And, and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's good. And even, even down to like, you know, finances, like for, for instance, for a community, like a municipality, it's kind of like, you know, a project like having, you know, like creating sort of like a little ecosystem somewhere for uh, endangered improvements. That's something that's something to like even brag about. That's something right. And, um, and like my work is, is like 100% like volunteer work. Right. So I, I don't get paid for it. And it's like, and so for, I remember like for one, like conservative member of sort of like the local uh, municipality, like one of the big selling points is like, oh, we're never going to get anything that that cheap <laughs> ever. <laughs> so uh, let's sign off on it, you know? Yeah. So they, they just exploit your label then somehow. <laughs> in, in, a, in a way, but of course, you know, like they're not uh, the beneficiaries so like, because, yeah. you know, obviously I'm doing it for, for the animals yeah. and for uh, wildlife. So, but you have to sort of find ways to, to present the the idea and the concept that's relatable. Yeah. To and you have to show you probably also have to show in some way the, the added value for the community, what is in there for them. As you said, that it's it's important to not come from from the outside into a community or municipality and just say, hey, this is important. We need to do that. But you need to somehow right. find allies and find the find the common ground and why make them make other communities understand why it's valuable for them in their community. Right. Right. And, you know, like projects that are near sort of like uh, human dwellings, as you will, if you will, um, you'll get quite a bit of traffic there, right? People are going on walks and, you know, they will see what's going on. So it's very important to provide information as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've done so with, as I said, you know, like big sort of you know like information like tables where where you you'd read up on um you can read up on sort of like you know the 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 history of it the pro why you know sort of like why are these things important what's what's the added value you know it's like okay because that's that's something you kind of like i mean to people who are who are like involved in things like that it's it's kind of like obvious but for a lot of people, it's not. It's that, you know, okay, you may not care about, like, frogs and toads or whatever, you know? You may even, you know, maybe you don't even like them. But you may like the animal that's next up in the food chain, mm -hmm. right? That depends on those animals. Uh, you may like the fact that, that like, a single toad eats, uh, you know, like a whole, um, like a, you know, a big sort of, like, uh, uh, garbage a trash can full of of uh, of insects like every year right like a single one you have like like you know 
don't know, a dozen in your in your garden or whatever, right? Like that that obviously makes a difference uh, if you yeah. if you like gardening, right? Yeah, because they they eat like slugs, they eat uh, all kinds of like bugs and and creepy crawlies that uh, you may not want, right? So um, I, I guess the food chain argument is is, is very often. Um, you know, it's quite convincing to people. It's yeah. Like, okay, you... And it connects yeah. again to, to the educational aspect, right? Because you, you might not know that uh, the little toad in your garden um, feeds on so much insects, which might be annoying to you. Right, right. I mean, it's it's even, um, or uh, just, you know, like um, the, the larvae of, of uh, newts, for instance, as they're like developing, like in, in in the water, they they live almost exclusively exclusively off of uh, mosquito larvae, mm-hmm. right? And they they empty the pond of them, mm-hmm. right? There's just none of them left, and it's like, yeah, obviously there's there's an added value here, right? Yeah. Of course, you could you could just go and poison everything, right? But we know about the knock-on effects of that, like that it's not the, it's not the 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 fifties or sixties anymore. We kind of like we've learned, right? And yeah, I think I think I think that's just just creates creates a sense of awareness maybe um, that like helps people like me us to like realize projects like that to implement them, but also kind of on you know it's it, it's as I said it's like educational and um you know you want to also talk to to kids and children who very often have a natural fascination with with water and and, and, mm-hmm. and nature and things like that and i think that's uh that's a good you know it's it's easier with them you know than sort of like the old guys never thought about that you know for yeah. but it's fascinating because because it with your project and you also said that um a small project can have a huge impact or you put it in in, in different words but but it's so interesting because i think that these projects are very well placed to create an understanding that humankind are part of nature. Um, as you said, right. that we cannot uh, or should not just go back to uh, times in 50s, 60s, and it's still done today, uh, to poison everything uh, to get, uh, for example, insects out. But there might be, nature might uh, provide us with better solutions to deal with this um, with this. But coming back to uh, to our main topic, toads, frogs, what else? Salamanders and uh, newts. Newts. Uh, so yes. those those are the, the 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 four main sort of like categories in terms of like what we have in uh, you know in the amphibian kingdom. Yeah, not to exclude anyone. To be yeah, right. Um, uh, those so, are the four. Yeah. Yeah. So when we went out for for a bike ride to to visit all those uh, those people, let's say. In Vienna, we visited the Nordbahnviertel, which is a neighborhood where recently a huge brownfield, so an old train yard, was redeveloped uh, towards a new neighborhood for living and working. And it's one of the biggest um, redevelopment projects in Vienna, in central Vienna, going on at the moment or over the last 10 years. And it was one of these, mm-hmm. um, yeah, in between these all these buildings, we went to a number of artificial pools right in the middle of this development which is very densely peeled and it was in the park and although it was never foreseen as far as i know for improving the biodiversity in the area these pools became 
the favorite breeding ground for the green toad, so which is a highly endangered species. Can you describe a little sure, bit? Yeah. Can you describe a little bit uh, how the toad ended up there in these basins? What is your knowledge on that? On that, and why they provide such a good um, habitat in this densely populated urban area? Yeah, it's 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 fascinating, um, and it's been. Actually, it's been studied quite a bit um, by, you know, the the, the Boku uh, University in Vienna and, you know, people like that. Um, it's very interesting. I mean, the thing about it, let's 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 go back to like the, the very, very start of, of, of your question where you said, like, I mean, the term brownfield kind of implies, I, th I think it's it's contrasted, uh, it's in contrast to or contrast distinction to greenfield. Is that is that right? Right, so it kind of like brownfield kind of implies like okay, there's there's not not much going on, and yeah, brownfield is a post-industrial site. Uh, exactly. So and, and and I guess like an old sort of, um, you know, what was it like a like a, a a big sort of industrial train station kind of thing, right? Like that's what it was. Right. Um, those areas are very often um, the lifeblood you could say of specialist species right there's um a lot of animals that specialize in particular like environments they need those for survival because you know those will be um you know the, maybe there 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 are not as many predators there uh you know things like that um and what we see with the with the green toads in Vienna, but also in Munich and things like that, is that what happened over the past like centuries, say, is that the natural habitats of those those amphibians were destroyed because they used to live in sort of like like around like big natural rivers in the areas where the rivers would flood. And they would use those little basins, those little like pools of water that would, you know, stay back or would would um, would remain once the water retreated, uh, as uh, like for spawning, because they could be sure that there won't be any like predators in there. There's, there's no no competition, right? So they specialized in that. All of that, almost all of that, got destroyed. But they found like similar habitats in. Uh, you know what is now called brownfields, brownfield areas, uh, industrial areas in the city, which are in many ways um, quite similar to their natural environment in that they're very, you know, um, you know they're usually kind of like dry and and there's not much vegetation there, um, like open sort of like fields, rocky, you know, kind of uh, dusty areas. Um, sand, you know, is, is very important because they, they like to bury themselves a little and things like that. And you find that uh, in brown fields, but also in um, quarries, um, gravel quarries in, in particular, like those are those are very important habitats. Now, um, those areas are kind of like dynamic. Um, they're, you know, they're in many ways ideal. So the thing is, of course, brownfield, as I said, doesn't sound like much. So, you know, of course we can build on there, but people tend to forget that, you know, somebody already lives there, right? And and that's been mostly neglected uh, in, 
you know, in, in the 20th century and I guess like up until recently, whereas now with new developments, these things are usually taken into account. So what happens usually is either um, you create a, like an alternative habitat somewhere else. And that is either um, accessible to the animals in terms of like uh, it being just right next door, for instance, right? But that very often, so for instance, like in, in Vienna, like in, in central Vienna, that doesn't work because there's no space. So um, the third option is to create something like that further out. You try to collect all the animals like in, in a given area and move them, right? Which is not an ideal solution because that means, well, we never get all of them. Um, also, you kind of like isolate them even more, right? Which is one of the big problems is like isolation in terms of, um, you know, um, like the, the, the sort of like draining the gene pool and things like that. So that's that's going on. Or, and that's what, what you were just referring to, you kind of try and accommodate their needs in what you're building. So I don't know how far like the, uh, those, those little like pools that, that uh, you mentioned um, were, were sort of like designed for that purpose because they're not ideal. Uh, I show you like they have like sharp like metal edges, which right. means that the, the the little hatchlings, if you if you will, like they they um, they can't really uh, they have trouble leaving the water and very often drown. So they're not a deal. It's it's not a problem for the for the like adult individuals. They can hop in and out, you know, very easily. Uh, but it's it's in many ways it's not a deal. There's like uh, there's like tarmac around it that gets very very hot in the summer. Um, the animals like burn up on the hot tarmac. Um, you know, drought and die and things like that. Uh, nevertheless, it seems that in, in that particular situation, the population of green toads has actually grown. And which, you know, you, you wouldn't suspect because you saw the park. It's not, it's not a, a it's not very natural looking. It's sort of no. like, you know, you have like a, a playground and you have uh, a lot of tarmac actually have, um, I think there's like a, like a basketball court and tennis court and stuff like that. Um, very little. And there's vegetation. not so many bushes around the right. um, it's very, around the pools. It's a complete heat trap. Also, yeah. it's it's just um, really. But in that case, uh, you know, the like the green toads love all that. Mm -hmm. They don't need vegetation. They 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 prefer it if they have like you know a clear view of their of their surroundings. They um, you know they're specialized. Right, um, and as I said, like those those kinds of those kinds of of habitats have mostly been destroyed, like out in the countryside, and so these animals found refuge in some of our big cities. Munich is is, is very similar, like that. There's there's certain there's areas where they uh, where green toads still live, and they they they'll be the dominant species there, um, especially um, gravel quarries. Those are, um, you know. Those are the main the main uh, areas for that. But now, what happens? That's sort of uh, my big concern. I mentioned this to you uh, when we're when we're there. Now, what happens is, um, I guess in Munich, Vienna, places like that, what you see is um, you know redensification as a sort of like as a as a way to maximize sort of the the the, the you know 
the capacity of our cities in terms of because more and more people are moving into the cities. So you know you need you need more housing. There's like a housing crisis, blah blah blah. Uh, there's of course a ton of reasons for that, but of course the uh, the redensification means that you lose a lot of those brownfields. You you lose a lot of those like natural habitats within cities. Um, which, by the way, also play a role in, uh, you know, like carbon, uh, sec uh, you know, uh, sequestration and, and things like that. So it's not like you know, they're not useless, but you lose a lot of them because you want you want to build more densely. Right. And that is that is, that links so well to um, an earlier discussion I had on the podcast with Josephine Rangel, who uh, also said we need to reconsider or stop densifying our cities because we need to um, somehow find the balance between accommodating more people in the city. She didn't say that, so I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, mm. accommodating more people in the city and destroying um, or reusing other land types, if you will, like the brownfields and so on. So mm. if we want to have um, a future with where nature plays an essential role in the city or an important role. And I think this is the way to go, to be honest. Um, reconsidering this densification activities and uh, is, is a very important part because also when we were there on the bike ride and we you showed us around, you showed me around this uh, this habitat around the poles and mm -hmm. uh, showed me, you know, it, it is this very central spot in this new development. And then he said, hey, over there is another habitat at the end of the road here. And right. that is like 200, uh, 200 meters from from the pools. Mm. But, you know, it is like uh, there are some green pockets in there, but it is it is basically an asphalt um desert so how should toads go over a 200 meter long street to go from one habitat to another one and yeah. there's also a tram stop currently building uh being built in it so it also you know while those, it those was two habitats so, sorry those two just just typically those two habitats used to be connected right and now they're not anymore which means both populations it's very different it's not i, I wouldn't say it's like completely impossible for them to traverse it, um, like individuals, individual toads might, um, but it's very, very dangerous and probably doesn't doesn't work and doesn't work to an extent where the the two populations could exchange like their genes mm -hmm. on a on a on a larger scale, which is important because uh, otherwise you're you're kind of like just draining the gene pool and and that leads to like in the long term leads to um, you know that population. Uh, going extinct or die yeah. out. But just for for me personally, having this this perspective from from this new development or from one habitat to another, you know, it allows mm -hmm. you it allowed me to have a non-human perspective on how I perceive the urban world around me, which was uh, very interesting. Because if I would have not known about the toad and about the habitat here and one habitat there, I would not have this per perspective of you know that this street cuts through. Um, as you said, just describe it as a gene pool and comes uh, with all these, right, these, yeah, these I mean, challenges. That's... In what way does urbanism have to change to plan and activate these complex connections between species, so between human and non-human? Well, I think I think um, as you, as you just said, you have to take different perspectives into account. Um, like where you know, 
of course, cities are built by humans for humans, right? That's, I mean, that's that's why we have cities. But that doesn't mean that we're the only ones inhabiting those cities. And I think it's it's only fair to also take those other perspectives into account. As you said, uh, you can have things like, you know, you have like, Mormon houses have like green roofs, you know, where they where they have like trees and stuff on there. And, and, and you know, it's all very well. It's great for birds and stuff like that. But if you can't fly, like that's no good for you right that's not that's not going to help so um and you have to sort of like sometimes take the perspective of like a very slow moving um you know ground dwelling animal that you know as amphibians do have like need need moisture um because they don't really drink they just absorb like uh you know moisture through the air and like and by sitting in, in puddles of water um and and things like that, and so like, and, and then you say, okay, like, get for me, it's like very easy to get from here to there. Uh, I I can just walk it, then I like you know go you know, I don't know, cross the road. Um, like they don't know what roads are, you know. <laughs> it's it's just it's just like a, a death trap. Like every year, like, like millions and millions uh, of toads die on on our roads just needlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because you, you know, there, there are ways, it just costs money, but there are ways to like prevent that completely, mm-hmm. um, by, you know, building tunnels and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a very important perspective. And so like with the, you know, in terms of like urbanism, of course, you know, like people are going to live in, in urban centers, but, um, you kind of have to sort of also take into account like how, how people na- naturally like live right and uh, naturally like in both senses of the word in terms of, like you know as part of their nature like what what sort of like what you know we are the debate is is shifting yet again it's just how um how things are currently still developed in cities which are which might be a bit lacking but there's so many ambitions on you level and also on local level to get uh, mm. nature back into the city but go beyond the greenification or or you know right. just making uh, uh cities green so we go beyond the understanding that green space is a park uh but that it can be more um with uh larger scale um net natural uh restoration projects and these kind of things but i think this will also the debate on regenerative urbanism is taking taking up fast and i think this is just the way we will go you know i see this development right. where 10 years ago there was a lot of debate on densification we need to do this mm. because uh we need to cut co2 and everything is is close by but you know with with urbanism it's always this dilemmas that it's so complex you know when you when you when you turn one screw when you turn screw a um there will be effects on screw b c to z and uh finding a balance on on that is is uh relevant Gerfried, I you mentioned yeah. previously your su- success stories uh, with your work with amphibians. And I think one of them is probably an award you won for biodiversity by the province of Styria in Austria for a project you worked on. Last, worked last on year. Last year. Last did, year, yeah. just outside of, of Graz in a more suburban situation. Um, do you want to tell right. us a little bit about that and your other success stories? This this project and which I, I won an award for and which is basically like my initiative that you know uh, I got a bunch of people involved in and sort of you know on on you know 
the level of the municipality and, and like farmers, uh, you know, the, the road maintenance organization, you know, like uh, yeah. there's, uh, all kinds of like things. So, um, and, and those were like three distinct, like it's, it's one project, but like three distinct um, like sub projects that I did in sort of like the neighborhood where I grew up. So, which is so if you have like a personal connection to like the place you're doing things in, I think that that just just makes it easier um, in terms of like talking to people and you know getting the the, the, the ball rolling a little. So that uh, that worked, but yeah, um, I was able to do what I had set out to do, like and more, like actually like, exceeded my expectations. In, in in what was possible Every, everything happened um within not even a year like eight months mm -hmm. which is which is unheard of if you have like th that many like parties on, to, to get on board um and there's politics and like stuff like that usually it, it, stuff stuff like that takes takes like can take years right to to implement to realize over i think i think it must be like over a dozen like species that are like on the like list of endangered species, um, just just there, right? So it's like a, a like a center for that, really. Um, and the other two projects were that that were part of the bigger projects were like with the municipality, like I um um that that there was a pond like near near a forest that um we drained and got all the goldfish out and built like three more ponds of different sizes around it. So I have like a, like a, a four pond and I think I'm going to, I'm going to add a fifth one like next year. The interesting thing about that actually is that the, the, the area like where that is only exists because of a tunnel they built like underneath it. And the, the ventilation shaft and emergency sort of like escape shaft of the tunnel is right there and so they had to have like an an area like where there couldn't be like any trees where nothing could be built on for helicopters to land on in case of an emergency the tunnel is only one kilometer long i don't think there's ever been like an accident in there but that meant that this this area was sort of um not usable for anything else right and and that kind of like made it made it easier so it was kind of like actually uh, you know, so the the tunnel was kind of like a blessing in disguise in, in in that sense. You know, there was like a silver silver lining to it. Um, that's one project. That project uh, has been important also because it's like walking distance from some of the main like schools um, down in in um, in that small town. There's there's a bunch of uh, schools down there actually, and so you know for their like biology classes, like, you know, um, teachers will bring students to like the, the, the ponds up there and they're very accessible, which, you know, is both a blessing and a curse. It's, it's, it's good because the kids can like see things close up, you know, they, they will like fish around in it, like with the little nets a little and, you know, and, 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 and study like whatever they found. Of course, uh, one of the big problems there is that a lot of people just let their dogs like swim in it, uh, swim in it. And that, 
can cause problems. But uh, on the educational side of things, like it's it's perfectly positioned because mm -hmm. it's uh, a lot of people like you know go for walks there, and it's it's uh, not far from from like local schools and. And they, then this the schools now has has their own like pond, you know, because they they were kind of like inspired and like you know, and especially with kids, it's like you know they get they see something like that, they go home, uh, you know, they may live like in a house with a garden, and they're like, mom, dad, uh, can I have a pond, you know, which is like how it started for me, really. So yeah. you know, you get the, you get that, and the third part of it is sort of like on um, farmland where like there's like a, a wet area like where there used to be a pond. Which had uh, dried up, and I got permission to like uh, use part of the area to just dig it up, and and it filled with water very quickly. And now there's like a nice little pond there uh, that is used by a number of species to procreate. It's cool, and you know the, you see the effects like almost immediately. Yeah. It's like the 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 the, the first the first um, so we build all these things like in the fall of. Um, 2000 or like 2021 uh fall winter 2021 so the next spring you already had like you know you already saw that like some animals using it and like the year after like this year you could already see that like the number of individuals has gone up because yes. uh, they yeah. because uh they have like i mean for, for toads it takes a little longer it takes like three to five years um, until you like see a difference because they um, they um, only become like sexually active at, at, at that time, right? So if like they, they have they, they live much longer actually than most people think because like you know a toad's lifespan if they're you know if nothing happens like it's, it's up to like 20, 25 years. Oh, wow. um, so so they, they can live, you know, of course, of course, it's, it's it's a dangerous world out there, and if yeah. if you if you have to cross a road, then you know, the yeah. life expectancy drops dramatically. Yeah, but you know, they they they, they live for for uh, or can live for quite a while. So, which means that they they uh, they only hit like puberty like after like three years yeah. or whatever. So, um, you know, uh, it takes a couple of years to see see a difference. Um, or seen seen effect, but like with with a lot of frogs, it can uh, it can just be the next year, or the year after that you already see like an increase, like in the, in the number of mm -hmm. individuals that participate in, in like the spawning activity. Yeah. That's that's how you can like measure it, and and you you know you start hearing them more uh, because you know especially with the um, the the European European tree frog, which you know just didn't exist anymore. There were like one or two individuals left like uh, in that area. It's literally um, back to where it was, um, I want to say, like 20, 30 years ago, right? Before, a lot, before a lot of, of uh, you know, the, the negative sort of um, yeah. things happened. You can do fairly small, not too expensive things, and they can have a, a very uh, noticeable effect in mm -hmm. uh, quite a short time. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. I find that I find that so inspiring. Also, when you when you described that you that you implemented or worked on this project only for eight months and got that going, and it shows, it also shows something we talk in urbanism sometimes that what is really needed is someone 
spanning boundaries, linking people, linking different knowledges, linking different activities um, in one direction and just try to get things uh, going, really. And I think that is what you what you just described here. Yeah, it's 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 similar to um, you know what the, uh, the the political philosopher Edmund Burke um, in when when was that like in the eighteen hundreds I think uh, referred to as like the little platoons, um, which is groups of people uh, that get together and organize and sort of like span the uh, the distance between uh, like local community-based like concerns and initiatives and and government right so that's um you know where where you kind of kind of start from a certain thing you care about locally mm-hmm. communally right and then sort of like and 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 it's sort of like a bottom-up approach rather than like a top-down approach of course you need sort of like the top-down like politics to uh, for for like finance and you know like things like that for funding, but it kind of like very often starts at the bottom and builds its way up, and you just yeah. you get people together. It's just like hey, well, you know, and and you see initiatives initiatives like that in the environmental movement quite a bit. I would be very interesting to yeah. not that it's important, but it links to a discussion which I had recently. Would you would you actually describe yourself uh, as an activist? Uh, no, I think, I think, I think it's an overused word. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, just read this recently. There's a, a quote by one of my, my favorite, um, authors, Thomas Sowell, uh, and it goes like this, uh, activism is a way for useless people to feel important. <laughs> so it's, which is, uh, you know, sort of like the, 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 the kind of like virtual signaling aspect of, 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 of activism. Well, you know, I'm an activist. It's sort of like an identity more than, um, more than trying to be useful, right? Mm-hmm. In, in 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 useful to, you know, the community, useful to to nature, even, right? So, um, I don't I don't use I don't use the term. It's, That's I fine. Think, I we, think it's I think it's tainted a little. Yeah, you know, we should have a different uh, a discussion in another point on that because I I for me if I how I would see activists work, you would fall exactly in that. You dedicate your own time, your own free time. To a course you find important for a greater societal good, right? I just uh, I just don't like the label. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I think you're right about about that, and, and maybe maybe we could call it that. But um, I think I think it's 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 a label that that carries certain connotations that are not necessarily conducive to uh, what I just said earlier. Uh, presenting the ideas to the general public in in, mm-hmm. in, in a way that that uh, makes them relatable. Mm-hmm. Might also be different yeah. in different uh, contexts, geographical contexts. I think an, ur- mm-hmm. an activist might be something different or understood differently in Europe, in North America, in Latin America. I think these are very different contexts where you could see that. Of course, yeah, yeah. How do you see your work in a greater picture, giving the urgency at the moment to transform urban areas in times of rapidly declining biodiversity and increasing climate crisis and all the other crises we have around well it feels like that there is now or has been like a shift in attitude 
in that sense. Um, as you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, things that, that were sort of like kind of like controversial uh, decades ago are now kind of like common sense, almost or commonplace where they, they're just, you know, they're just being considered at least, you know, it's like, okay, um, I don't think anyone like in the, in the seventies, if you said, well, we, we, we can't build here because there's, there's uh, like toads uh, would have taken you seriously. But now we live in, uh, in a society where that is something you have to take into account. If you want to build somewhere, you have to like make sure uh, you either sort of like build around the natural habitat or, you know, create some alternatives for it. And I think there's been a, like, obviously like a massive shift in that um, and in terms of attitude. But of course, there could be a little bit of bias in there, like in, in, in that um, uh, estimation of mine, because obviously I tend to socialize with people <laughs> who are uh, open to that. Um, but of course, if you just step out and, like, and see what, what people are actually doing and, and where there's, um, and, 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 you know, there's, there's, there's even um, you know a lot of resistance to things sometimes, right? Then see, um, uh, you know, um, of course. But your your examples or your work, I find it that it shows alternatives to all that status quo, and eventually, eventually, people will jump on it. You describe that by when children um, go to the pond. I, actually, just how you got uh, into this work and amphibians when you were a child that you experience what is out there near a pond or experience the value right, of it and, right. and show an alternative that this alternative has value. And it's not opposing or not only opposing other developments, but it shows mm. that there is a, might be a better way to do things. No, ab absolutely. Because we're always going to have cities, right? We're always going to, uh, there's, I mean, of of course there's there's some predictions of uh, potential like uh, population collapse uh, especially like in the in 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 the west but also like in places like china and things like that yeah that will take but, another 80 but years. but uh, as it now stands i think the trajectory is more uh, one of of uh, growth right yeah. so there's there's going to be like more people and more people moving into the cities um there's you know all kinds of connected issues to that uh, immigration you know things like that uh, of course but we're always going to have cities and 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 um i think the the idea has to be that um it's kind of we have to i mean it sounds like we're going back to something but it's actually i mean it just makes sense to see how we can um have you know like natural habitats and human dwellings like in the same place rather than having them, you know, like this, okay, this is, this is nature. This is where humans live. Right. Absolutely. So start, rather than and having that, those. And that yeah. comes to with, with a mindset that uh, humans are part of nature, I find, because then you also start developing as such, not as, as opposing bipolar situations where you have humans on the one side and nature on the other side. And especially on the urbanist where in, in an urban setting, I think this is a, this is a, a thought experiment, which is very interesting to do. How do how do we build cities uh, uh, in that way with this very close connections? And there are some examples, and there there is increasingly um, projects going in a, that that direction. But this this mind shift 
um, is still to be done, especially in Western Europe or in in, in the global north. I, I no, of course, uh, of course. I mean, and and well, I mean, I, I, I think we're we're actually a little further down the line than if 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 you then like go to I don't know, like China or uh, you know, developing countries. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think I think there's I mean they're obviously like in their in their development like further um you know further back in terms of, of even considering things like that because because um if you want to sort of like raise your population out of poverty and like that takes just a ton of energy uh you, you know you're probably not going to think about like toads a lot right so um I, th- I, th- I think it's it's sort of like a byproduct of of the kind of like prosperity that that's been that's been created, you know, in 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 the West through certain means um, to have. The no, I would, of, I would, I would. Uh, it is come. because, yeah. I mean, feel free to like uh, challenge me on that, but just to have um, the, the the luxury of not having to think about um, your own survival in terms of like you know fending off nature anymore, right? Or like extracting as much from nature as, as you can and just not care about it and you, because because there's this way to do things now that don't necessitate that and you don't have to worry about uh, freezing to death in the winter starving you know things like that so um, I think I think that's um, I mean that's a known fact sort of like um, you know the, the areas of like nature reserves go up in direct uh, proportion to to uh, prosperity like that's um, that's that's a known that's a known fact. So so there's 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 still a lot a lot of work to do, of course, right? And and I think I think there's a lot of it um, can be done through, uh, especially when it comes to like carbon emissions stuff like that. I think I think uh, the, the the market does provide certain mechanisms that that facilitate that, um, but. There is such a thing as you know that probably familiar with uh, the, the tragedy of the commons. Is that a, a yeah right? So it's like uh, you know you kind of need need institutions to to regulate things yeah. like that because everybody's trying to you know work for well. Their it own depends on benefit. it depends on it depends on how you um, especially how 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 you run your economy and what you what you value in your economy if you only measure your economy in 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 stupid gdp growth uh, per capita that doesn't tell you anything it's just statistical data and it doesn't value any of the planetary boundaries so you cannot you right, it's right. just a very very um stupid way of measuring the economy um which is built on yeah exploiting natural resources and that is not what what is uh, no no and, and, and you need and you to, to value yeah. other other things and factors of the natural world in how you do so the thing the economy. thing that's not that's the thing that's not taken into account in the in in, in, in that like uh, like a gdp based model and things like that are um of course externalities that uh are not being like they're not factored in right because there's stuff okay, like uh, we have like a GDP growth of so and so but much. Calling it an externality is already basically wrong because we live in well, a natural yeah, I mean, world. It's not an externality. If you right, if you're... I'm 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 with you. I'm totally with you on that. I'm I'm just using the the, the general expression that's that's being uh, used in that case. In in, in that um, there's like 
potentially third parties like animals, uh, like future generations even, that um, have to pay for those, right? Externalities, but of course, and I think I think uh, this is this is uh, something we can we can definitely agree on the, the 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 core the key to everything is the realization that we're part of nature like that that is really and that's not like nature worship like pagan style nature worship or whatever and it's not you know like some hippy dippy like nonsense it's just it's just the fact of life that we're organic biological you know creatures who depend on nature but are also like subject to its laws. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're hurting ourselves. I mean, that's, that's the, 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 the bottom line there. And it, it may not seem like we are like, you know, short term, but of course we see that many of the things that we did just, just decades ago have uh, horrendous consequences now flooding, you know, right. like that, that's, yeah. you know, straighten out all the rivers, uh, you know, things that and built very close to them. And now, yeah. you know, suddenly there's like more water. Yeah. We're fucked. Right. right? So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's these kinds of things. Right. What a fitting statement for closing this episode of Cities Reimagined. We continued the discussion or the talk we had a little bit more and talked about his background in punk and hardcore and how it was to tour Belarus 20 years ago and all these kind of uh, stories. You will find them in a bonus episode posted very soon. Yeah, that was all for this week's Cities Reimagined podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you did, I would be very happy if you would leave a comment or a review or a rating um, on the podcasting platform you are using or you reach out to me um, on LinkedIn or you send me an email at johannes at city. We also have Instagram, so get connected there too for background stories. If you're into harder kind of music size, here is a song of Gerfried's London-based band Morrow called To The Fold from their 2022 record Acquired Earth. Expect some serious unfolding of music right there, including strings and everything. That's it for today, and I hope to catch you soon. <laughs>